Welcome to my viewfinder. Recently, I found myself in Toronto for a series of family emergencies, one of which was the passing of my grandmother. My father asked me to take photographs of the funeral service, and when I returned, I found out that Alvin had also been asked to take funeral photos for his uncle's passing several years ago. So our discussion today is going to be largely around the strange experience of grieving through our cameras. As mentioned on our social media platform, we do have an open Discord group channel. If you're interested in participating with the construction of this new season of the podcast, look us up. You can email us at mvfpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at myviewfinderpodcast. I think we were talking about uh, the fine art world, but I feel like if we're going to go there, we should probably do more background research just as far as the history of, uh, and the evolution of like gallery galleries I, and the, uh, sort of art market in general. So maybe we should skip that for now. You want to skip that? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it depends how much, how, how thorough you want to be about this stuff. If we can go off the cuff, we can just talk about whatever we want. But if you want to actually okay, reference we, shit. We can go off the cuff for now. Um, We'll start with you actually. How is, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about some personal shit, but how, how was your not get away, but <laughs> yeah, I was away. I was away for a while. I had to go deal with a family emergency. So we got word that my grandmother passed away, but she was pretty old. Not to be dismissive, but she's been in a care facility for a few years. She was 98. And uh, I think she had already started kind of a descent in dementia for like the last couple of years. I lost touch with her. So that's mm, on dementia. me. And uh, she, we were, so we were, you know, as ready as we could be that that was going to happen. So we got a call, uh, let's say on a, uh, on a Friday, if I remember correctly, that, uh, that she had passed away and we were supposed to make arrangements to come to Toronto for the funeral. So that's kind of already, you know, kind of a big deal. It's it's a flight and trying to coordinate Helen, uh, my wife and my son, Helen Emerson, to come down uh, with school. And she had a lot of work stuff going on. And then the next day I got a call that my mom, uh, who had been getting some scans, suddenly needed to do an emergency hysterectomy because they found uh, a massive tumor. And that was actually scheduled the same day as the funeral. Oh, um, Christ, dude. Yeah. So it's kind of- Damn, sorry to hear all that. <laughs> yeah. So then the plan changed and I, uh, I decided to go on my own to be more supportive of my family instead of kind of dragging my wife and my kid out for like, I think I was there for 10 days and it would have been so depressing and distracting because it's hard, as you know, I mean, you've got three, but yeah. um, even with just one to make sure he's not just in the dumps for 10 days because people are just running around trying to figure out what the fuck to do. And my mom, as I found out when I got there, was way sicker than I thought. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it was kind of a, it was kind of an interesting experience, you know, spiritually, emotionally, and photographically, I suppose, for one moment. My dad asked me, my dad asked me to take pictures at the funeral, which I thought at first was super weird because, yeah. you know, you're going down to uh, mourn, to mourn and to be supportive. But I came to the realization that the best way for me to be supportive for my dad, that's in that moment was just to kind of do, what do he whatever asked. he wanted me to do. Yeah. 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 
yeah, so that first couple of days was kind of bananas. We were setting up the funeral. My mom was getting uh, pre-op checks. We were trying to plan everything, the full gamut. And my dad's old school baby boomer man. He doesn't even know how to cook an egg. So he's also trying to learn how to do all of these uh, family stuff that he kind of pushed on my mom for the last uh, 40 some odd years. So yeah, it was actually kind of it was super stressful and emotional, but also kind of fun. I got to hang out with my dad. Uh, we we kind of reconciled over the last couple of years, so it was kind of weird to be friendly, uh, but it was great. And I got to see my brother and sister a lot. But as far as the scope of this podcast, uh, on the Friday, so the day of the funeral, yeah, I, so my cousin and my aunt and my uncle flew in from Philly and uh, they had an open casket. And it's Catholic, but truncated a bit. So it's not the full, full, you know, Catholic funerals can be, uh, can be huge. Oh yeah. So there was a mass, there was, uh, there's a viewing, a mass, the pallbearers brought the casket to the burial site. There was another sermon, if you want to call it that, on the site. And then there was, uh, Koreans go for lunch after, I don't know if that's everybody, but they set up at this restaurant. Yeah. No, Filipinos do that too. It's like yeah. a reception yeah. after yeah, reception, reception kind of thing, yeah. which is, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So I had my camera and uh, initially I thought I was going to have to give the eulogy too, but I, I was able to work on it and then ask my cousin, uh, she's a doctor and she's a year older and much more- Well-spoken. Level-headed, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I can be well-spoken, I think, <laughs> but no, she was good. And she, she kept it really short. You know me, I- I would have just went on too long. But the weird thing was, uh, yeah, taking uh, photos at your own family's funeral. Like, I didn't want to be, like, you've done events and weddings. Like, when you're a hired third-party event photographer, you just run around and yep. get in people's yep. faces and, like, look for angles. Yep. Uh, but this thing, I'm trying to be both uh, respectful of my family's space, but also, like, I'm there for me, too. So... It was very, it's very surreal, strange. Too strong word. It's very yeah, strange. It's, it's very yeah. surreal. It's a really surreal experience. I know this because I've been in your shoes. In 2016, when my uncle died, uh, I was the guy who was taking photos for the for the funeral, and uh, he was he was like my closest uncle to me, and so that was devastating just to have to deal with that. But photographing on the side was. Uh, uh, it took it took me out a bit, but at the same time, while I was doing the photographing, <laughs> I was I was like mourning as well. I was like crying while taking photos. <laughs> yeah, I wish there was like a. Now that I think about it, I wish there was a third person to like get Take photos of me crying. <laughs> yeah, man, meta. Well, it's weird, right? Because like as a photographer, you're positioning yourself slightly outside of the reality of what's happening in front of you. Yeah, you're you're trying to be. Less of a participant, more of a, you know, fly on the wall. That's like, for me, that's sort of the ideal conditions you want to be when you're photographing. But I don't know, sometimes, sometimes it's nice to uh, be part of that experience as well, right? Looking back at it, the photos were probably, I mean, I, I had some pretty decent photos from there. Actually, I could probably find some right now, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I can share my screen. Yeah, I might have some too. Here. I, I found myself like, I don't know, it's kind of hard on an audio podcast to, to look at this, but I, I was definitely way on the outside and I don't have a lot of direct you know, portraiture for sure, but like of the face. We also were wearing masks because my mom was in a highly uh, high exposure situation. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not that personal. I do have some 
decent ones of people kind of laying flowers on uh, the casket. But even then I was back into the corner and people were walking in front of me and it was just interesting because I, I didn't uh, have that instinct to go and crawl <laughs> crawl up beside the grave yeah. to uh, make sure that everything's uh, in frame, right? So, <laughs> so I have, these are very private photos, but I'll, I'll do my best to, to try and avoid showing any, let's do this. Oh, use the flash too. Yeah, use the flash. It was open casket, so I'm trying to. I'm really trying to avoid yeah, I, showing I anything. I didn't use a flash. I was worried about just being too close to it. You know, yeah, it's great. So I'm like crying as well, trying to yeah, take these. How could you not be? I also took some film shots as well that oh, I have to dig through once more. But there's that one, and there's a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, it smokes. So I'm like. Crying just as much as these people while my uncle's getting uh, buried. Yeah, that's the hole where he's buried. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Hold on. Let me see here. So yeah, I was, I was just, you know, using Flash liberally because ultimately, well, it's family, first of all. If I was a third yeah. person, if I was someone who was not related, then I'm sure people would take offense. I'm sure there are people who, who probably Noticed thought it. I wasn't yeah, family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah, and then there's one of uh, I got one of like the dogs pissing on the grave, I think, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like at the end, it becomes an event oh, from the looks of it. Baby Alvin. Oh my god, you look like a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want to share something. Then, yeah, I don't means. know if I can share anything. If you've even imported them yet. If well, you... I got them all in JPEGs. I sent them. The other thing is. You know, my dad wanted them mostly because he wanted to send them to Korea. Mm. Let me see. So this one, for example, can you see that? Mm -hmm. So like you can see it's a little bit less, uh, like this is my dad at the end. I didn't really take that many, you know, it was more just trying to record which guests showed up and you can see I'm kind of like in the back <laughs> and no flash, my uncle and my sister, firefighter. In, uh, in her uniform, which was great. My cousin doing the eulogy. You can see like super high ISO, the color's all fucked up. It yeah. was hard in this church. They had sunlight that was coming in like magenta. They had like a fucking incandescent bulb. They had all kinds of crazy cross color. So looking at yours, just on a technical standpoint, if I had been able to use artificial light, might've been cleaner, but uh, you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it was interesting. It was an interesting experience. Uh, stop streaming. Okay. There you go. How did the stream go? Sure. Fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I met my friend after he, his mother passed away a long time ago. And we, we, you know, I kind of worked with him through that. And he told me that it wasn't after a few months that it really hit him. He said he was just driving one day and had this total emotional collapse on the road because, um, you know, there's so much to do that processing the grief is, you know, you'd expect, like in movies, people are freaking out and wailing. And, and you know, there's going to be some of that, of course. Uh, I was, 
you know, I was crying, trying to take these pictures and watching my, my dad, like my mom couldn't come, but, uh, it's just one of those things, right? Yeah. It's a slow burn. Yeah, man. Uh, when you so get I'm the news, the well, I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I got the news about my uncle, I was, you know, in a state of shock. So then I booked a trip immediately down there, um, the weekend that they were going to do the funeral. And seeing everyone, you know, it was great. Things seemed normal. And I was just vibing how I usually do whenever I visit. Uh, this was in Vancouver. And it everything seemed normal. Just my uncle was out of the picture. And then as soon as we go to, to the funeral home, I'm like, all right, like, here we go. Right. I'm just bracing myself. And then as soon as I like see the open casket, it's like it's 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 just real, you know, and then. You know, just like like just this wave washes over you and a sense of reality hits you and you're just like, holy shit, this person is not coming back. Right. Yeah, it's it's a slow burn. Like things seem normal. Right. You're caught up with so, so much other shit. And then when it hits you, it's it's a really sobering uh, realization. Especially if it's someone really close to you. Yeah, I was I was just thinking about you know, this camera is kind of a shield. I mean, I was still part of it. You know, I got to hold my family and, you know, hug my dad and my cousin and my brother and sister. And, and we have a very small family, as you can kind of see from the pictures. We didn't have a lot of people there. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, for sure, if it had been a wider and larger event in the scope of having to be a photographer instead of a grandson or a son, uh, you know, would have even made it more odd. But I did get some quiet moments to myself. But uh, I also, because I have a task to do, don't sit there for two hours and just like get stuck in yeah grief or thoughts or... Or participating in it as an event it's kind of like yeah shooting any events like that yeah. right like when we shoot a concert shoot a, a wedding you're not able to like listen to the music or uh revel in in the newfound love of some couple or whatever the uh the event is it's fascinating being a photographer it's like are you a part of the reality or not it, it is weird, especially when it's a personal event, right? An event as personal as a family death. You want to participate, but at the same time, you're tasked with a job. It's not really a job you have to do, but you kind of want to do. I don't know. It's, uh, I think for me, I was like, I was able to do both, like do the task and experience the grief and be a part of the, I don't want to say performance, but part of the participation with everyone the ritual yeah just because you know i guess i had my role to play documenting these things uh while also you know uh experiencing and sharing the grief that everyone else was also experiencing it's it's a totally different story when you're being tasked to photograph someone else's funeral though i don't know if you've been in that situation no no i have <laughs> it's very strange i don't want to pull up pictures because it's, it's not my family but yeah yeah but no, i don't need to see it but do you think that they do they feel different not like oh, emotionally they, feel, they but... feel very different because at this point i am i am a fly on the wall when it comes to another family but at the same time at the same time i can't be as intimate like i I can't be as much of an opportunist in the sense where I can get close. I'm allowed to get close. I can take the photos that I would like to take. You know, I kind of have to be more conservative with my methods. Whereas when it's family, I'm family. I can 
I can not do whatever I want to, but kind of teeter the line of getting close enough to the point where it's still respectable and I'm allowed. I'm getting consent. Hmm. It's, it's funny. I, f- I feel like I would take, no, I don't want to say the opposite, but like I felt, mm, I felt very worried about, let's say, you know, um, in the viewing, coming around to the other side and taking photos of people's faces. Uh, I felt like I needed, like I brought uh, a zoom lens because I, I was actually positioned sort of on an angle in the back of the room. I, I didn't even want to be a part of their experience. You know, I don't want them to see me if they're spending time with my grandmother or if they're at the mass inside the the church or the apps or whatever, no, the chapel. Uh, I didn't turn around and take photographs of the people that attended the funeral service because I also didn't want to make myself that visible, particularly because as Koreans, you know, I'm the first son and all that kind of weird shit. Ironically, most of the older people didn't even realize I was there as a son. They thought I was a photographer until we hit the reception. Yeah. So that was definitely in my mind uh, and not so much what was uh, asked of me as a photographer per se. Yeah, I didn't have, I, you know, like, I, so I guess if you were in the unfortunate situation, I had the second thought, like, would you as a photographer have taken your camera then to take a photograph of your mom? Like, I did not take a single photograph after. So my mom's sick. She's at the hospital. You know, like a document, like a cold hearted documentarian photographer would be taking pictures of all of that. Yeah, would yeah, be taking totally. pictures of the, you know, house experience, the prep, the hospital visit, and, you know, all of it. But I'm just not that type of person. I couldn't. I just didn't even think about it. Yeah. Um, really I don't strange. know. What do you think? I don't like, know. I, th- you... I think uh, like if it was my mom. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm going to say if I'm comparing myself now versus back then when I took those photos, me now would probably not do that. But me back then in 2016 uh, would have used photography as a coping mechanism. Mm. Because in a sense, I, I like that. That was my coping mechanism. Right. Uh, well. Yeah, I would say it was my coping mechanism as well as, you know, doing something for the family, right? Because if I was just, I would just be crying otherwise, right? And I, I was crying, but I would, I would just be crying and, I don't know, feeling kind of, I don't know, not hopeless, but like, what else can I do? Helpless? Yeah. So yeah, like using photography then was more of a coping mechanism for me. I don't know, like, who am I to say that I wouldn't do it even now? Right. No, uh, yeah. I mean, it's all I, speculation. I would... <laughs> we don't know. Okay. Yeah, yeah I changed my mind. Maybe I would. <laughs> Maybe I would. Well, I, the one thing I, in my mind that I always thought was different between you and me, like I met you at the mall once accidentally and you were with your boys. I think it was before your third I remember. Was born. I remember that day. Yeah. yeah. I remember you that had, day. Uh, you had a camera around your neck. And, yeah. You were very uh, concerned for me because <laughs> you're like, like you carry, you carry your camera too much. <laughs> like, like do you even experience no you didn't say this but and i didn't no, I, just, I didn't take yeah. it this way but it, if you were like a fly in the wall your response would be do you even spend time with your family <laughs> or are yeah, you just taking photos yeah. of them <laughs> like i know you hang out with your boys and i know that uh you guys have a fun relationship but i definitely think stuff like that like you know are we when we have our cameras are we engaging with the world are we observing it from sort of this bubble? And I intentionally don't bring my camera out a lot. And now uh, I have trouble bringing it out even when I want to. We went out for a walk yesterday and I actually gave Emerson my old 
OMD because we bought him a little piece of shit camera on Amazon for Christmas. Yeah. And it broke in it a broke. week because mm. uh, it's made of garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he went out and he was taking pictures of that. So I had my camera. I think I only took like three frames, but it was fun. It was like a, it was like a collaborative experience and it wasn't about getting a picture. It was about just giving him an opportunity to try a different hobby. Um, and I know he enjoys it. He was disappointed because I put a like a little 35 prime on there because the zoom's too expensive and they're big and they're heavy. Yeah. But he, you know, he had fun. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I was thinking about that a lot on this trip. I was uh, wrestling with this idea of whether that meant I was part of it or separate or both. I don't know. I think with you, it's both. Uh, the camera feels like more of an extension of how you interact with the world. I don't know of if course. it's the same for me. I'm not sure. Well, maybe that's something you need to figure out. For me, it's absolutely. I don't want to say, well, crucial as a photographer to just have it on you all the time. Just because, first of all, you get practice. And the more you practice, the better you get at it. Photography as a skill or as a craft is uh, is more uh, tangible than as opposed to an art. Because when you treat photography as art, you're really you're just saying you get lucky more often than not. Right. Or a skill or whereas craft. You, you kind of know what situations you're going to get yourself into. Like you kind of build your intuition and you have that intuition, then you have that luck, then you might strike gold with something, right? So that's why I bring or brought a camera with me all the time, just because, you know, just like refining my photographic craft. And then if I get lucky, then I'll get blessed by the photo gods, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There's a discipline to it. Yeah. I find... I'm not a disciplined person by, I don't say nature, that sounds so like forming, but uh, certainly by habit, I, I like to think of myself as much more uh, random. It just does vibes. Back <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just I, running on vibes. <laughs> yeah, I just run around and, and it's one of the reasons why I do uh, more spray and pray than sitting in a corner and kind of like pre-composing shots and probably one of the reasons why I enjoy manipulating photographs more than necessarily like, yeah, making them. I don't know what the right verb is in that context. But yeah, yeah, making them is valid, I think. When we were hanging out more, like, yeah, 2016, 17, 18, I can't remember. And we were doing a lot more photo walks. It was fun because I think I was practicing with you. So it was like, you know, if we went out and I took however many frames on your lunch hour, or we went out to an event after whatever we were doing, it was, you know, it's way more energetic that one, one or two years. It definitely changed the way I, I shoot, but I don't do that anymore. Yeah. And sometimes I get home and I look at what I've taken and yeah, it's pretty rough shot. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I, yeah. uh, you know, even looking through the viewfinder, it's like, I don't think that's what I was looking at. Yeah. <laughs> Well, even then, even if you look through the viewfinder and then you're not even sure, just, you know, do it anyway, especially if you're shooting with digital, because you never know, right? Like you, you yourself may not know how it's going to look like in the process of making a photograph, but it's one of those situations where you shoot first and ask questions later because you might strike gold. It's really a matter of luck. Yeah. Luck's an interesting concept. It's like, uh, if you have a discipline and a practice and as you call it, a craft then it's less luck, isn't it? It's more of a, it's more of a, prob a probability statement. Luck's a weird thing because it takes away the sense of any, any intention, control, action even. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like you, you like tripped into a good picture, well, which I don't think when, when is I true, say, right? When I say luck, it's, it's really like what the world gives you because that, those are things that you just can't control, unfortunately. 
right? Yeah. And and especially you can you can guarantee yourself as a photographer to be at the right spot in this time of day, but it may not be the right time because nothing is happening, right? All the photos that I've taken that people have uh, on social media have asked more questions to me about were the times that I wasn't uh, working hard to get a photo. Mm. I just took it and then at the edit, I was like, okay, this looks pretty good. And then I post <laughs> it and then people are asking me, holy shit, like, <laughs> did you take how this, did this dude? happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how, like, what's going on here? Um, here, I'll, sh- I'll show you. Uh, this photo... Is the one that gets asked the most about. Uh, I could find it right here. Oh shit! It's 2017. Holy shit! Was it that long ago? How amazed do you have uh, access to your library so succinctly? I I couldn't. Mine's like a crate. I couldn't tell you where anything is. <laughs> Stuff I've printed. I don't even remember where I've stored it. Shit! Uh, I can't. I can't find lot, it here. Flickr. A lot more organized than I am. I started Flickr again just to oh, yeah. just to have my shit around. It's this photo over here. If I can share my page, share my screen, screen one, go live. So it's this photo right here. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's probably the birds. So it's this photo right here. This is the photo that people are asking me questions about because, you know, it's just one of those things where I never really thought about it, but I just took it and it's one of those photos that just happened, right? I would say I got lucky there just because I didn't purposefully set myself there i just happened to be in line waiting at the seattle vancouver border and i was at the right spot at the right time without really without me making that conscious decision i was just like oh yeah this is kind of interesting i guess i'll take a photo of it maybe i'll tilt it a bit to <laughs> to yeah. make it a little more dynamic but <laughs> as, as yeah like as a craft you can bring your shit you know your your iso your shutter speed your aperture you know what to set your camera to the correct conditions. But really, as far as the content that you're given, it's really all just luck. Those are things that are out of your control. But those are also the things that you have to work with, right? This is where photography as a craft comes into play. Ideally, set where you're going to stand and at what moment do you want people or things to converge, converge. into the frame. I like uh, if we're doing audio podcasts and this fucker starts eating a banana. <laughs> You asshole. <laughs> I'm going to have to hear me. Well, I'm going I'm to post this video on YouTube anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah, just going back to the funeral thing. I, I uh, am reading this book called Doom, the Politics of Catastrophe. It's pretty good. Uh, and the first chapter is talking about the culture around death, how we have this catastrophizing mindset as a society that everything's about the end of the world. But one of the reasons why he he starts with death is because uh, leading up to probably around the 1900s, you know, life expectancy was no higher than 50 years. And as you go back, it's shorter and shorter because there was just too much environmental uh, risk, you know, whether it's food quality, disease, animals, (laughs) war. And like modern science, modern technology, modern Right. All of these things. And he talks about how uh, as a ritual... And as a cultural practice, death was much more in the front of mind and much more a part of the experience of life. So so funeral rites and all of these processes that we rely on, these somewhat celebrations were more normal back then. But somewhere around the 1900s, 
And he references sort of the death of religion. He brings up Karl Marx. He brings up uh, the scientific revolution, the industrial revolution. But there's this point where humans become scared of death. And now we tuck away old and sick people in hospitals and hospices. We worship the concept of immortality. Uh, funerals now become these like sudden and traumatic events. You know, my, my grandma's 98. We should have been prepping and celebrating her life probably for the last 15 years. You know, but instead we kind of push it off to the side and we worry about like my health and whether I'm exercising enough and how do I live to be 90, etc. Which there's nothing inherently wrong with that, I suppose. But it is an interesting thing to reflect on because I've just come back from said funeral and and I got the double whammy of watching my mom's mortality at the same time. So I just thought it was interesting reading that and then being a photographer at this event and how fucking dour, a Catholic mass are the worst in general. Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they're so, so fucking long. Fucking awful. Yeah, it takes way too fucking long. <laughs> oh, and there's every so miserable, right? It's like the religion of misery. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it, it's a cultural thing for sure. But if, it, I don't know, funerals in general should like, they say it's the celebration of one's life. But it sure as hell doesn't feel like a celebration, you know? No. It's all it's all fucking doom and gloom. It doesn't help that fucking priests are boring as shit. Yeah, so. man. It doesn't help that the music's all like fucking organs. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's a cultural thing too, right? I'm sure in other in other places. And I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I'm sure it, it's a bit more lively and more celebratory. If you're at an here. Irish wake or if you're at if you're at a, I, yeah, I can't think of a specific culture, but one which they'll have an actual celebratory tone. So, I mean, I don't know how African-American culture, like in the gospel church, how their funerals go. I think they're still influenced largely by these puritanical and Catholic structures. I think they must still be, uh, you know, black suits and wailing and fucking shit. But, uh, yeah, you know, if it was the other way and it was actually kind of a celebration, I think photographing it would be like going to a wedding. <laughs> yeah. But instead I found myself, yeah, very, actually very self-conscious and worried about being there in the first place. And so, yeah, reading the, I read the, the chapter after I came back and it made me really question, you know, what even the purpose of having my camera there was. It's, it's weird. There's in the grand scheme of things, it's not important. <laughs> no, no. I mean, do we even want to remember if we're so unhappy that someone died? Well, I don't know. It's like, no one's going to care about what photos you take or what photos I took, unless it, was a historic world changing event figure but, or something yeah but unfortunately like my uncle's death is not as devastating as you know i don't, I, don't, I can't even compare the pope i don't know i don't know who gives a fuck about the pope <laughs> well in the catholic context when pope francis dies there's going to be right there's going to be 100,000 people didn't he Rome, already die and then in argentina well he's pretty sick oh okay i don't i I, I know nothing. Well, I don't follow him, but I saw uh, an article on Apple News a few years ago with a photo of him. And my first instinct was like, oh, this guy's going to die. Because when he first showed up, you know, he's like a youngish pope. I think he was still in his 70s instead of being nine. Like I think when Benedict came in, he looked like he was in his 90s already. At any rate, uh, so the other thing that this book talks about is idolatry because we lost God, right? That, I think that's why it brings Karl Marx. He's like... At least uh, pre-socialism, you know, the religious world is about uh, attributing 
elemental and environmental disasters to the concept of gods. And then we have Catholicism and organized religion becoming a singular figurehead, mm -hmm. uh, but it's still external to human experience. And then by the time the Industrial Revolution comes in and Marx writes his book, uh, we've eliminated the external, we've made it internal. And so the cycle, even though we feel like we've excised religion, we're actually worshiping ourselves. And then in a weird way, now we've gone back to idolatry and you know who would get a fucking high-end photographer in an art book? If Beyonce died, somebody would be paid 10 million bucks to take a picture of that funeral procession, right? That book would become an art fucking coffee table book. You know, that yeah. photographer would probably get a celebrity status for being the one hired to do it. And so that that's a weird thing to think about, right? Like uh, photography's role in in God making right now is is very strange. strange why do you think me. that though? Uh, wait, which part? That that would happen? Yeah, no, no. Like why that would be such a, why the conditions of this person becoming i guess a like this photographer being a celeb like a micro celebrity from being hired to photograph beyonce's funeral why would that happen yeah uh, like why do you like why do you think that would happen well I, we saw that with uh who is it somebody the obama guy married <laughs> yeah somebody somebody got married once and uh the rights to shoot it might have been beyonce and jay-z the rights to shoot the wedding and all that stuff was so strict you could, because of tabloids right so you couldn't uh, have someone commodify like a cell phone like a smartphone photograph of being mm -hmm. there you know there's so many comedy shows now where you have to like tuck your phones away so that you're not live streaming somebody's set and um there's a lot of um ownership around the content of images and video now that's basically tied up in law and conversely like in commercialism and i think i mean i yeah maybe i'm being too extremist but i feel like somebody of that celebrity status dying especially if they're quote unquote too young right in their prime and yeah. not when they're 90 and people have forgotten about them largely uh, i think it would be a huge huge market event i mean i don't know if i'm crazy no, I First of all, I agree with you. Second of all, like these conditions are because we live in a capitalist society, right? Not not saying that that it's bad to make money. Not inherently bad, but because because having a a a job providing labor, just any kind of labor, it doesn't allow for people to, you know, make a living, right? So then you have to you have to fucking almost exploit your way to the top or find these other venues, these other conditions to to kind of make it you know it's not really uh there's like no real meritocracy if you know what mm. i mean well there yeah there never was and there cannot be yeah. it doesn't actually make sense as a system we talked about this in our first episode but if we want to keep it within the context of the funeral photographs how you value the pictures of your family and what you might be willing to pay either in barter or as cash price for photograph let's say of your parents at a casket versus a random stranger there's no way to connect those two uh, values, right? If you're an event photographer at a wedding or a funeral, then you can sell it to the clients, presumably, but you couldn't sell it as a coffee table book. When you have someone who's got celebrity status, you know, I was just thinking like, just within the context of a photographer, if we got hired, let's say we opened up a company and... Um, I don't know. If it's not BS, let's say Simu Liu, someone Canadian, I don't fucking know. Somebody famous in Canada hired us to shoot some devastating traumatic funeral. 
I don't think we're showing up in a street photography, a handheld flash thing. I think you're buying fucking umbrellas, cinematic lighting, right? You're renting giant Hasselblad cameras. You're, you know, it's like, it's a high-end production because it's not even about reality. It's about projecting the importance of this event well beyond the person themselves, in my opinion. I, I just feel like that's the world that we live in. I look at wedding photography and I, I think the few weddings I've shot, I'm not sure if I fulfilled the expectations because I <laughs> shot it the way that I think is important. I shot people having genuine uh, conversations. I shot people looking happy, but I didn't put in high bokeh, fucking warm light, uh, forced uh, portraiture of people in front of floral arrangements and all this kind of stuff that you see on Instagram or on Pinterest or uh, on wedding photographer uh, advertising websites. Now, I don't want to sound too defiant. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's just not how I've ever approached uh, making photographs. So it's, it's just fascinating to me. Like, are we here to document? Are we here to project a sense of reality? And in the funeral sense, are we worshiping the people who pass away? Are we worshiping ourselves for being there? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's an interesting point. Oh, I'm chewing. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking banana. Fuck, my bad. My bad. Okay, here. Actually, here. it sounds racist, right? I've been called a banana before. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Here's what I think. And I may not have the correct analysis on this, but uh, yeah, like this, this kind of goes back to our last talk about how photography is not, well, the way you and I define photography, for me, it's just a matter of seeing what the photo looks like versus what actually happened, right? Whereas this... This is just more of a, you know, it's, it's marketing, it's advertising. You're, you're illustrating someone's life, right? Or I guess in this case, someone's funeral. You want to, you want to make it look pretty. You want it to look grand. And actually, you know what? I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's, uh, maybe you are doing photography. It's just the conditions that you're dealt with are, ah, fuck, I don't know, man. It's too much thinking. Yeah, there's, there's not gonna be an answer. It's just more. Yeah, just cut my cut my bit out. <laughs> no, I, it's you know it's interesting. I think I mean this is the whole this is the whole conversational problem. It's, I mean, there's no if we ask any of our friends, the answer will always be different, um, and it will probably change. Like you said, if we asked Alvin of 2016 versus Alvin of 2023, the answer will be different. It yeah. has to be because our situations keep changing. Uh, one of the things that happened at this funeral is they did the standard slideshow and my dad had pulled up, I think, 75 pictures. He was so amazed they had the slideshow done. It was like PowerPoint. But anyways, that's just me being a hater. So um, <laughs> these pictures come up and they're pictures either my dad took or whatever, right? Like they're family pictures, yep. super random. So they're not compositionally great, but they're so meaningful because you see my grandma with me when I'm like 12 or with my cousin, you know, uh, just these events that bring up- um, Like he's nostalgic. Nostalgia, yes. Yeah. So, you know, there was another layer of photography that was there too. And I, I don't know, I do get hung up a little bit too much on these conceptual um, ethical relationships, right? Like I, I was tied up with the ethics of me being a photographer at a, at a funeral. I was tied up with the ethics of, uh, you know, photography in general in that moment, <laughs> whether we should be taking pictures at all and never mind my position in it. But there is actually no right or wrong answer. I mean, uh, my dad really wanted my grandma's sister in Korea to see that a funeral was done correctly. So photographs are required, right? You know, is it good enough to have done it on a smartphone or on those like uh, Kodak Insta cameras? Maybe. 
but he asked me to do it. So I was happy to provide that service yeah. for him. Um, and then we see the after effects in the slideshow, which is that having a visual record of these things, whether they're real or not, was quite impactful. I don't know. It's the thing about photography that's so weird. Like, If we had been in the 16th century and they had put up uh, portrait paintings of the of the family, right? So like if you're part of some elite clan and the matriarch dies and there's no photographs yet, so they have 17 uh, commissioned paintings of family members. Yeah. You know, is that all the fake same by thing? the way? <laughs> What's that? All, all fake by the way. <laughs> yeah. Like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they tried to make them look as hot as possible when really they you know, they probably had fucking But isn't that <laughs> but that's the thing like isn't that Instagram, right? Isn't that what would come up? Let's say on yeah, it's, uh it's if one of us died. <laughs> Like what? What would the photos look like? Would they be the genuine ones of me, like, you know, two hundred five pounds drunk and puking on something, or is it going to be the photo that you or Scott or uh, Curtis took of me, like candidly? But because you guys are great photographers, I look so pretty, right? Because if you like, died, yeah, you're saying if you died, uh, I don't know. I've thought about it too. Like they're definitely going to show pictures of me with like when I had my hair spiked, which is like absolutely something <laughs> I do not want to be shown. But I'm going to be dead. Tips, I'm going to yeah. be dead anyway. No, but well, I, I don't mean. Yeah, I don't mean necessarily like how I would feel about it. But it's just interesting what what reality is projected there. I think it's important to show those things because it's it's almost like a book, a photo book, right? Where it's like, look at look at how this person has lived. You can view them during their like, I, I don't want to say lowest end, like their lowest point in life, but they were once this person and they've just changed throughout the course of their life, right? In that sense, I guess not to be rueful, but maybe I ought to have been taking pictures of my mom. I, you this is the thing about Honestly. the culture of death, right? You should. There's a fear of sickness. So my mom's at the weakest I've ever seen her, but I didn't photograph her. I was crying a lot because I thought it was potentially the last time I might see her going into this operation. And then she came out and she was recovering and I didn't take photographs of her recovering either. And I don't think any of my siblings or my dad took pictures because that's just not the mode we're in. Yeah. But let's say she survives another 10 years. I mean, I don't know what the outlook is yet. We're waiting for all the reports and whether she has to do chemo, et cetera. But whenever she does pass on, do we not want photographs of this battle that she had? I have no idea, right? It's weird. Should it be celebrating? I mean, she's a pretty tough bird too. It entirely depends on how you, the photographer, views it. For me, I view it as a sign of respect, right? I think in today's climate, especially with social media and, you know, in the era of, I don't want to make this comparison, but YouTube pranksters and radicalization of people being feared into having a camera phone pointed at them, right? Like we've, we as a people, I think of cameras as a bad thing. Like it's a, it's a tool used for malicious purposes. Whereas back then, right? Back then when film was the main medium, most people would have been glad to have their photos taken because it's like, oh, am I going to be on the newspaper, right? Like, am I going to be on something important? And yeah, it entirely, it, it's entirely up to you as the photographer to make that moral decision. But for myself and for most of the subjects that I've interacted with, or not subjects, but people, actual people that I've interacted with through my demeanor, they've mainly taken my act of photographing as a sign of respect, right? Or they don't even give a shit. It really depends on the vi <laughs> the vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going back to the vibes, right? Listen, that's that's your mom, man. If it were my mom, 100% I'm taking those photos because I'm not showing them at their weakest, but I'm showing them at them fighting 
through their biggest struggles. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's how you it's how you frame your intent. Yeah, your intent. Also, I think it's a a distinguishing feature of uh, who a person is that calls themselves a photographer. It's not a it's not a definition that is binding, I suppose. But I would consider you more of a capitalized PH photographer than me, in the sense that the camera is important in the way you tell that narrative. Whereas I would call myself a lower PH <laughs> because uh, it's still a tool that I gladly participate with when asked to, but it is not a way that I, uh, it's not something that I view the world through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't want to regret that I didn't take those pictures, but hearing you describe it, I, I would never have thought about it that way, which is why I didn't take the photos. I didn't even have my camera in the same room when I was sitting, you know, kind of like discussing what was happening with my parents, uh, while I was living with them for a couple of days. Uh, it was nowhere. It was hidden. It was like in a bag, in a room, in a corner. It was not accessible for 10 days, except for the day of the funeral. Like I didn't even take it out once. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, here, like I keep reiterating this to you and the more listeners we have, the more they're going to hear me iterate this. Like I'm from the Winograndian school of photography where it's like photography is really just about the act of making the photograph. You just shoot first, you ask questions later. And like what Winogrand said, I'm going to quote him right here. And I think I said this last time we recorded. The way I understand it, a photographer's relationship to his medium is responsible for his relationship to the work, is responsible for his relationship to the medium. So the way I understand it, it's really just how you re react to the world. It's not really about what the intentions are. Well, it, it is on what the intentions are. And the intentions are to make the photograph interesting. But obviously, you're looking at it at a deeper level which is why do we act on it? And it's because you're dealt with what the world is throwing at you, right? It's, it's almost, it's your response to the world. Like it's, it's your reaction to what the world is giving you, right? It's how you, I don't want to say cope, but process. It, yeah. It's like, because, because you find this moment, this event interesting or important, you take the photo because, because that's what yeah, was given to you. Right. There's you not, there's not much it, else. Yeah. yeah. There's like not much else more into it other than, yeah, maybe like this could be a coping mechanism for you, but ultimately in the grand scheme of things, you are just reacting to how the world is. Uh, yeah. I guess, yeah. We should wrap up there, but I think this can extend to a, a separate conversation about do we experience, like, how do we experience the world? You know, and even the idea you? of documenting Am I participating in the world first and then recording with a camera? You know, like that, that's a weird thing, right? Yeah, a, no, and, and that's, that's valid. That's why I wanted to kind of analyze the material conditions of how certain photographers made their work. Because it's, it's, a, it's, it's just another case study of what we as photographers try to work around. And that also goes into a deeper connection with, when I say material conditions, it's, it becomes like more more of a discussion on i hate to say it but like class war and struggle right yeah these are real things and this also dives into the politics of photography as well like how we talked about the colonial eye right did we talk about that last time uh well we will i mean i think that's super important especially as two bananas i think that uh <laughs> Right? It's so crucial to understand even our language of photography, which is so fucked up, right? Because uh, 
we're learning essentially, yeah, a colonial medium. And we are programmed culturally to be within a colonial environment, but we have oppressed roots. <laughs> yeah. We are visibly minorities and in a conflict with where we come from, I think, culturally. So I think that affects how we take pictures as well. Yeah. Again, this funeral is interesting. It's a Korean Catholic funeral. Yours is a Filipino Catholic funeral. It's like there's a lot of loaded, it's not just one or the other. There's there's overlaid cultural requirements and expectations. Um, totally. And what I wanted to add is our our ancestors, I would say, they experienced the same struggle, but because of because of their cultures and how different they were, they obviously came to a different outcome, right? Not all Asian people are a monolith, but like we we have cultures as well. Oh yeah, and it, I don't. If people are not Asian listening to this, we fucking hate each other. So, <laughs> and it's it's really interesting because how you grew up, like because of your culture as a Korean person and my culture as a Filipino person, the way we approach this medium, uh, it, they're they're vastly different between each other. Filipinos are party goers, dude. <laughs> happy all well the time. yeah there's a the filipino <laughs> culture of like enjoying everything for the moment now i think yeah. there's something that's to why that. we have gout dude because yeah. we enjoy live, live we, it. we enjoy the beer and koreans uh koreans define life as suffering and uh and difficulty and and oppression so there's quite a lot of residual a shame but also resentment built into the language so i, I think there's something to that not to oversimplify an entire race of people, but I think, I think it definitely plays a bit. Yeah. No, totally. All I want to say is not to make this a, a game of uh, who did it better, but we've been colonized for we're just over like 400 years. Oh, yeah. No, your island's fucked. Yeah, yeah. And like not even nice, never nice periods either. Just a bunch of assholes yeah. running through there all the but time. But hey, we, we make the most of it, right? <laughs> we're definitely not qualified to do sort of a ethnographic or cultural cross-section of anywhere we come from but um intuitively there's something important there well we should read books and we'll come back yeah, smarter we should read books fuck i should read more books i'm <laughs> fucking way too i'm too in too deep to fucking tiktok and youtube shorts <laughs> <laughs> you gotta cut yourself off it's riding your brain i feel like an old man it's riding your brain okay man that's right. a wrap episode two complete <laughs>